It's time to talk about Captain DC. Wait, what? <laughs> Captain DC Shazam. It's just about a police captain who lives in Washington, D.C. And, you know, the various exploits she goes through as captain of the police department. That's it. It's a very basic movie. I don't know why everybody's complaining. Welcome to Infinity Rewatch. I am Andrew Fantasia, and I am joined by somebody who is not Andrew Fantasia. He's even better. He's Ryan J. Whitehead. What's up, Ryan? I don't think better, but equally as cool. That's for sure. What's up, guys? Ryan J. Whitehead here. And so today we're we're going to deal with the enforcer herself, the Captain Marvel. Captain uh, am, Marvel. I am curious to see how this podcast is going to play out because this movie has had a lot of controversy. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> has. Uh, I've been very curious for us to get to Captain Marvel. Um, before we start on the movie, there's something I wanted to bring up and I forgot to do it last time when we did Ant-Man and the Wasp. So I'm going to do it now. Um, so we are still in that limbo where we're waiting for Black Widow, right? Yes. We're yeah. waiting for Black Widow. Is it going to come out in May? We don't know. It's, it's just, it's a movie that's just on the horizon and we can't get to it yet. Now, Ryan, have you ever watched, uh, growing up, did you ever watch the show, unsolved mysteries with robert stack the the show's name sounds familiar i don't I, i'm not remembering anything from it though but the name sounds familiar it was like picture america's most wanted but more creepy and just it's about unsolved cases sometimes they're murders sometimes it's like paranormal shit like this guy saw an alien or like this house is haunted like it was really spooky it was a really really creepy show it always used to give me nightmares as a kid uh, and Netflix rebooted it, I think, last year. Netflix has done a modern reboot of Unsolved Mysteries, and there's like 12 episodes out on Netflix right now. The reason I bring this up is because next time you get a chance, Ryan, and everybody else listening, if you guys are just looking for something to watch on Netflix, whatever, there's an episode of this new Netflix reboot of Unsolved Mysteries, and the episode is called Death, I believe it's called Death in Oslo. Uh, Oslo is uh, in Norway. And the case in this Unsolved Mystery, Ryan, I'm not going to give away spoilers about it. I want you to see it. But the woman who died, I swear to God, I believe she is a real-life Black Widow. She's a real-life Natasha Romanoff. And once you watch the episode, I guarantee you, you will agree with me. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Was so she you, okay? But that like that leaves so many questions. Was she a spy? Was she part of the red? Was she a ballet dancer? Like like what? Well, it is called unsolved mysteries, so they don't really give you any answer. They have no idea yet. But right. I like once it was over, and I you know the the episode ended. I just sat back and I'm like, that's that's Natasha Romanov. Like even if you looked at this woman and you just saw her walking across the street, you'd be like, she is she she's a spy. There's something going on here. So you, I'll let you be the judge of what you think once you watch it. But just to scratch that Black Widow itch while we wait for this movie to finally come out, I guarantee you, you're going to really be intrigued by that episode. It's called Death in Oslo. Death in Oslo. Okay. I am going to check that out. I mean, the spy stories always have so much potential. They can either be really cool or they can just be so like we've seen this before and, and fall under that. But here's the thing. If we're talking about Black Widow right now, um, we don't want to go off too much on a tangent here, but if we're talking about Black Widow right now. 
with what WandaVision has already done for Wanda, I can only imagine what Black Widow is going to do for Black Widow. Like, you have to really look at, like, how they're looking at storytelling now. And and on top of that, how they're exploring the characters. And they've evolved, man. You can clearly see they have evolved. They've learned a lot. Um, but Black Widow's story is is going to be so different, but with what they've done with WandaVision, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with Black Widow. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty, I, I think it's a safe bet to say that the red that's in her ledger is going to come to the surface here. Yes. We're going to see that red, uh, that scarlet, if you will, in her ledger. Oh, that was a double play on words. Oh, there you go. Mic drop. Mm, if I had a mic that was physical, I'd drop it. But otherwise, it would just—I'd <laughs> have to take my whole desktop and throw it on the floor, and that might be loud <laughs> and messy. But yeah. in the meantime, while we wait for spies and while we watch uh, unsolved mysteries about spies who are probably most definitely spies, Captain mm-hmm. Marvel is a thing. Yes, Captain Marvel yeah. is a thing. So right off the bat, I think in one of the sweetest things that MCU has ever done. We get our opening Marvel logo, but this time it's all about Stan the Man Lee, thanking him for creating all these wonderful characters in his career at Marvel. <laughs> I it's it's beautiful, and um, you know it's 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 a tough pill to swallow um, as well because uh, you know one kind of tradition they had was Cam being a Stan being a cameo in like every movie, which will still probably happen in some way, shape or form. But it was also for the actors that got to meet him. And also for Stan, it was a, it was a great way to kind of make, meet these characters like, and, and, and kind of get that Stan uh, mark of approval or the handshake of approval. Like I remember a lot of people um, would ask him like, Oh, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, this character coming to life? And of course he's never going to say anything terrible, <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's, it's that, it's that reward. It's that reward that he gets to see his world being built. And uh, I mean, you know, Kevin Feige, uh, he loved Kevin Feige and, uh, and he was really proud of the work Kevin Feige done to bring Marvel where it is today. Um but it just sucks because, like, I would love Stan to meet the Fantastic Four, uh, the new Fantastic Four that, that Marvel will be doing. And I would love to, for Stan to see what their own team wanted to make and, and kind of the, the Fantastic Four experience uh, that we'll see. I know he'll be proud regardless, uh, but uh, but I will say it just sucks because uh, those actors really would have uh, really would have been a lovely full circle thing if he got to meet. Marvel's Fantastic Four. It would have, yeah. I don't know how many kids and grandkids Stan has, but wouldn't it be great if he had like a grandson, kind of like how Ice Cube, Ice Cube's son, O'Shea Jackson Jr. looks almost exactly like him. So like, imagine if if Stan Lee had a grandson who looked just like him and then they could just put him in the movies and he'd be like, hello, I'm Stan Lee Jr. Shazam. Uh, (laughs) He has a daughter. He actually does have a daughter. He does have a daughter. Given how old he was, she might be like 70 for all we know. So maybe she'll want to be in these things. Or maybe she's just like, I'm too old. Leave me be. But uh, I think she's in her 40s, maybe 30s. 
her 30s? Somewhere around there. So he had her when he was Late like 30s. 68? <laughs> uh, maybe 40s. I know he has a daughter, though. I know yeah. he has a daughter. Yeah, I remember reading about her. But uh, yeah, that'd be cool if he had like a, a just a family member who looked and sounded and acted a lot like him. Um, mm. But uh, in the meantime... We still have the memories of Stan. So thank you, Stan. And I think that was a very beautiful thing that Marvel did. Uh, touching little tribute. And we uh, we open our film out in space. And I can't remember the name of this planet where they live, but I thought it was interesting. I, I noted that the font they used to say the name of the planet in this was the same font they use when they do it in Guardians of the Galaxy. And that, yes. was, a, that was a nice little piece of consistency that just kind of tickled my brain in the right way. Yeah, no. So it, I, I love that they're they're kind of continuing that font. I I believe these are new directors that are being introduced, um, being introduced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, and we're getting introduced to uh, I think it's Hela, Hela Helios. No, hold on, Helios. I can't remember. Hold on. Let me give me a second. Uh, Helios, here. Helios sounds right, and 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 you're right. Yeah. These are new directors. I feel bad. These are this is the only movie. Hela, sorry, Hela. Hela, is that the planet? Hela is the planet. Hela is the planet, okay. And I feel bad because this is the only movie in the MCU where I can't automatically tell you the names of the directors. I know there's two of them. And I yeah. think they're a couple. I think. I think they're a married couple. I, I could be wrong. Uh, right. I'm so sorry to both of them. I'm so sorry I, I haven't turned your names into household names yet. Um, mm -hmm. You know what? I'm going to look up their names right now. But in the meantime, while I'm doing that, Ryan, tell us about this planet. What's the deal with Hela? Oh, man. Okay, so first of all, let me set the stakes and expectations as a comic book fan of where Captain Marvel's at. So when this movie begins, guys, everyone was going into this movie, first of all, going like, okay, we're getting the Kree, we're getting the Skrull, you know, we're getting secret invasion. Like, period. Like, it's going down. We're going to get the, 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 the Kree-Skrull war. And now we're starting to see the actual Kree. We only got reference of the key, the Kree and Guardians of the Galaxy. But now we're going to actually see the Kree home world. Um, and for, um, for this home planet, this is a, a military-driven planet. So you really want to look at um, Sparta essentially is what this planet is they're they're naturally born warriors um it's a military-esque planet in fact uh the, the planet is described as cold and metropolis looking there is virtually no greenery on this planet it's all military buildings everything's made for the military and it's run by supremor or the supreme intelligence um which is made up of their their leaders and if you Essentially, if you die uh, and you were like a great natural born leader for the Cree, then your mind will be added to if you are honored enough, you would be added to the Supreme Intelligence. So it's just this like massive mind made up for it. Um, and then so the Cree, what they're doing is obviously they've been in a battle with the Skrull for just planetary like galaxy domination. Um and the Skrull kind of get screwed over a little bit because Galactus eats their planet. Uh, but uh, but what happens is is that they were they read this prophecy that essentially made Earth their new homeworld, like they were promised Earth as their homeworld. Um, and so they take that prophecy and they're like, "Yep, we're going. Let's do it. Like we're taking this planet." And so so they kind of don't have a home world they just have like this massive armada and they start conquering planets as they go and earth becomes the center point because 
for the Kree, it's a jump point. So the Kree can like actually like jump and end up behind the scroll and catch them off guard. So that's why the whole Kree scroll roar takes place in, on Earth because it's just such a critical, uh, uh, such a critical strategic uh, point for both factions. Uh, so there's there's the war that takes place there. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of stories that take place from that point on. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. But the cool thing about Kree Homeworld is we we actually get to see it, but it's a planet. It's a military built planet. It's it's literally designed to house an army and that army is the Kree. And I think that tells me a lot and that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you brought up Galactus too, because there's a new game I want to play with you on this show. Uh, and, and don't let me forget, but first I just want to make sure I give the proper shout out here. So the directors of Captain Marvel are Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, uh, and they are not coming back for part two. It looks like part two's director is someone named Mia DaCosta. Yes. So, there very, we go. People, a lot of people are very excited about that news. Cool. Yes. I'm, I, I want to, I want to get those names in my head because I feel bad. I, I can, every other movie I can, I can drop the, the, uh, the director's name. So I, I want to. I want to keep that consistent. Um, yeah, the, the Kree Scroll War is something that, even as a comics guy, I sorry, even as a non-comics guy, I kind of knew about because it's brought up so many times. Uh, even mm. DC has their own kind of DC version of it, which is the Ram Thanagar War, which is all over the Green Lantern stories, which I'm obsessed with. So that's why I know that. Yeah, the Kree and the Scrolls, I know that they've been at each other's throats for a long ass time, and that Galactus uh, kind of screwed the Scrolls over, like you said. And that brings me to a fun game that I want us to start playing because uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ryan, is full of planets. It's very cosmic and it looks like we're going to get yes. very cosmic in phase four. So I think this is the perfect place to start the game. And here's the game, right? It's called Galactus Hungers. All right. And All right. The, the way this game is, is every time we, get a, we meet a planet or like are introduced to a planet uh, from here on in, I want you and I to try to figure out what we think that planet tastes like. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So we've got this Cree homeworld, which, uh, and it's like you said, it's a, it's just a military city, no greenery. And again, that makes perfect sense now that you lay it out for me like that, because I thought aesthetically speaking, when it came to Captain Marvel, I, w I, I was so confused because it was this big cosmic thing like Guardians but it was one of the least colorful Marvel movies, movies, which is the opposite of Guardians. Guardians is like so colorful. And I, I remember kind of being let down by the cosmic side of things. Because every time she's up there with, with Yonrog and everything, I'm like, oh, this place is boring to look at. It does, it's not really all that juicy to look at. So the fact that you say it's a city built for military purposes only, now it makes total sense. Because military people... Yeah. They do not know how to decorate. Color is not in their vocabulary. So now I understand. Now I understand. So this planet, Cree homeworld, what does it taste like? Galactus chows down. What's, what's, what's he going to taste? I have the perfect answer for this question. What is it? Tastes like, tastes like protein. That's all it is. Oh. It's pure, pure, unfiltered protein. After a workout, you put that protein powder in your shake. Uh, but this time, there's no flavor in that shake. It's literally you're just like eating protein. And that is literally what Halo tastes like. Oh, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> I was going to say just like a giant blueberry because everybody's blue. Um, 
And no, no. <laughs> and we know he already ate all the scrolls home world there. Uh, their world, I would imagine, because the scrolls are shapeshifters, I would imagine their planet's taste kind of reflects that. So maybe it it's like it tastes like an everlasting gobstopper from Willy Wonka, where he sucks on the planet and every few minutes it changes flavor. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> you know, if if I were to think, if I were to predict what Skrull's homeworld would taste like, I'd imagine it tastes like a salad because they're shapeshifters and they're just full of like all sorts of nutrients. So Whoa. let's say it tastes like a salad, a garden salad. No a salad dressing, just garden salad. A delicious garden Well, I'll take that over raw protein any day. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful. Galactus yeah. hungers. I, I look forward to meeting more planets and finding out just how good they taste. <laughs> but isn't that like, see, but that's, that's why I kind of agree, you know, pre Avengers Endgame. Um, that, you know, the more that Guardians stay away from the Avengers, the more planets we get to see and the more galaxy we get to see. And Captain Marvel, I think this is this is a both a pro and a con for Captain Marvel in terms of their current approach. I think we're going to see an incredible refresh and update with Captain Marvel um, coming soon. Uh, that's that's why I believe they, they have a new director. Um for this because i think we're going to get a totally different tone i do have some theories on this movie uh after talking with my brother about it uh so and like based on like stuff we've seen so what i'm going to tell you guys is that um with this captain marvel um yes i love the fact that we're seeing hala uh and again i want to see more planets i want to see galaxies uh, it's going to be very hard to do but I mean, we've seen a lot already. We've seen Morag. We've seen Nowhere. We've seen um, we've seen uh, uh, that that prostitute planet whose name escapes <laughs> me at the moment. But I really seen, hope it's uh, just called that. And then we've seen the uh, the the gold people planet whose name also escapes me at the moment. Um, I think it's just called Sovereign Homeworld, right? Sovereign, yeah, the Sovereign. Yeah. We've seen Sovereign's planet, and then on that top one of that, tastes like a Ferrero Rocher. I'm calling it right now. That's exactly <laughs> what their planet is. Yeah, no, for sure. And we've seen planet. The, we've seen Ego's planet. So we have covered a lot of ground, but there are still more areas that we need to explore. We've seen Xandar. Xandar was a beautiful city. That is is an absolutely gorgeous city. Um, I was actually half expecting Hela to kind of look a little bit like it, but I again, I love. The cold metal look to Hala, it's its a really neat look. But one thing we do see is the sun, kind of like the sunrise, or I guess sun, sunrise, yeah. Uh, a sunrise in Hala, and it just, it looks like it's filled with promise. And I think that's a carefully, dire a carefully directed shot, because it just, um, the sun is just shining over this like cold metal city. So I don't know if that's like the metaphor for the shining hope um, that is either within captain marvel herself or just like the look of the whole uh, or just the promise of the whole city that's a good uh, catch i i didn't even really notice the sunrise and it's mm. yeah, from the way you're describing it it sounds more beautiful than anything else i saw on this planet so i'm glad there's some little uh little you know just aesthetically pleasing bits here because mm. it is a very dry very cold planet and it really made me miss places like Ego's planet or Xandar, which are just full of warmth and color. And I hope we get to see them soon. But speaking of warmth and color, guess what we do see very, very quickly? The handsome face of Mr. Jude Law. 
who shows yes, up. Yes, sir. Wayman Jan Rag. And, and Jude Law was, I remember when I was working at the movie theater when I was a, a teen uh, 75 years ago. And this would, this would have been 2003 and 2004, which were really the years of Jude Law in cinema. Those were the years where he was in like every big movie ever. He was just in everything. You couldn't turn your head in that movie theater without seeing a poster for something that had Jude Law in it. It was nuts. Uh, and he kind of faded away. He's still working, but he kind of faded away. And then this kind of brought him back. And I'm hoping that he goes through like how remember McConaughey had the McConaissance about five years back. Mm. Uh, I hope we get a Jude Lawsance because uh, that dude's cool. And he's, he's always a pleasure to watch. Yeah. Oh man, for sure. I mean, he plays a pretty significant character. Um, He plays Jan Rog, uh, which is, uh, which is kind of like the evil Captain Marvel, essentially. (laughs) And we're talking like the alien, the alien version Marvel. There's a, there's a, there's a more, um, uh, there's a more angrier version of Captain Marvel, and uh, it's Yon Rog. So he is quite a significant villain. So, um, and his story, it looks like there is the possibility of his return. Um, so I hope so. And I again, I think he has a potential of being a great villain character. I mean, he he could have the same potential as I'd say Zemo. Uh, just in terms of tactics and, and just military strategy and all that stuff. But I don't think he's like your Dr. Doom or Loki or anyone on that scale, but he, he would be a good enforcer type of enemy. So if you were to do like a, uh, a dark Avengers story, uh, which is again, a really cool thing they could do. Uh, you could, you could definitely have him as a member and, and definitely, you know, fight the good fight. Yeah. I'm hoping like, I, I remember going into this, hoping he would be, kind of like how Ironmonger and Ronin were yes. in that they were, they were villains that I had never heard of, but then I was pleasantly surprised with them. And I was, he kind of fell short of that for me. Yeah. But you're right. I don't think it's set in stone that we've seen the last of him. So it would be nice if he came back. And then the other villain we had on our hands, the Supreme Intelligence, who I knew nothing about either. Mm-hmm. I just from watching the movie, my impression of her was that she's kind of like the master control program from Tron. Is that close? Am I on the right track? Close. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, th- like, you have to understand, this is a character who th- who essentially is a living council within one body, right? Um, in fact, when you see the traditional image of, of the Supreme Intelligence, it's like a, it's kind of like this Medusa-looking, uh, very fat-looking character, but it's just a floating head, essentially, with these, like, kind of cybernetic tentacles coming out of it. And, um, yeah, it's just has all these faces built inside it. And it's so imagine, imagine a character like that. So clearly trying to debate with someone like that, they're going to try, they're going to be the driving force because again, like you're dealing not with one mind, you're dealing with many. So you have to convince all of them. Um, and, and in terms of debate, you're not debating one person, you're debating a whole bunch of people. So yeah, yeah, I I would say you're pretty right. I feel like if somebody calls themselves the supreme intelligence, they're mm. not exactly, you know, you're going to be dealing with a stubborn person. Like they're, mm. they're going to be like a, like a YouTube comment or troll. If you try to change their mind, like, excuse me, uh, do you think we could not have this war with the scrolls? No, I think the war with the scrolls is the bestest. Cause I'm the supreme intelligence. What are you? Mm. There's nothing supreme about your intelligence. I'm the, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the hardcore. That, that's how I pictured that conversation going between Captain Marvel. Yeah. And, uh, so very, very, uh, very offbeat kind of villain. Um, and I 
think we're also going to see more of her too. Because I, I remember think... asking you who Captain Marvel's, like who's her Green Goblin? And you told me it was Supreme Intelligence. Yeah, essentially, yeah, this, the Supreme Intelligence is is the Green Goblin of, of Captain Marvel's thing. Because again, like the Supreme Intelligence is like, is the Kree. So they're one massive force. And so Supreme Intelligence is the leader of that force. Um, and therefore, you know, whatever the Supreme Intelligence wants, Kree's got to do it. Uh, so the cool thing about Captain Marvel in the kind of comic book stories and stuff like that um, is, first of all, we got the Miss Marvel Captain Marvel storyline is absolutely amazing. Uh, and and there's this. So this movie had some notes that I think they missed. Um, and I don't know who decided to write it whichever way, uh, but I think there's a lot of notes that just that that the cartoon had, the cartoon has done really well. The comic books obviously did really well. And for some reason, like there is a huge disconnect in the movie. Um, I do agree that it was nice to just get the Ca- Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, like right out of the gate. I think that was a smart move. Don't get me wrong. Um some key elements I think was missed was like the Kree send in sleeper agents into Earth, uh, or they send like a sleeper agents to different planets and stuff. And Earth had the original alien Captain Marvel, and that Captain Marvel, the cartoon probably did my favorite take on it. The, but that Captain Marvel works in Shield, and his name is uh, uh, his name is um, Philip Lawson, mm-hmm. right? Um, so. I I like that this movie did a female character as like the female Lawson. I have nothing wrong or against that, but I do think that it would have had more of an impact if it was uh, Agent Coulson, if Coulson was Captain Marvel this whole time. Uh, because he's just such a big character. He's had so much investment in overall the overarching Avengers story. And the alien Captain Marvel in the comics uh, or in the cartoon, even when, when, when the cartoon story did it, um, Philip Lawson fell in love with humanity and understood that human potential is like a big thing. And that's another thing that Cree did. Uh, the Cree uh, like to play with human genetics uh, because they're, they have, they have biology as one of their sciences so they they end up going to Earth a long time ago, messing up the genetics there, and that ends up causing the Inhumans. So there's a lot of really good lore and story you can play around with with the Kree. Um, but I definitely think with this movie, the missed opportunity there. I like that Lawson's the the mentor of Captain Marvel and like getting her to become like a pilot and all this stuff and the best of the best. Um, I just think that. I guess that's like the only way they could have tied it in. But like, I just think that um, when Captain Marvel crash lands on the planet or whatever, uh, having Coulson be Captain Marvel and like aspiring, you know, being like, oh man, I love Captain America. I love these heroes. And then having Brie Larson's Captain Marvel being inspired by that because she lost her memory, having her memory built by someone who worships heroes like Captain America, then that would be really cool to see that transformation of the experience of a hero. So, um, uh, yeah, so there's, there's some cool elements of the story that I really like, but, uh, overall, uh, there's some missed notes that I, that I have with this character. Uh, but I still love Brie Larson's attitude for the character. 
Um, and it starts off at a good spot in the movie. It starts her off with being this tough, like can't sleep because you know, all these dreams and nightmares. Uh, and it kicks off into this beautiful kind of fight scene and the fighting is amazing. And the, you know, I was really excited to see how much training, uh, Brie Larson did for this movie because it made me get it really excited for the physicality of the character. I remember her, uh, kind of showcasing, I think on her Instagram or something where she was like, look, I'm training for this. And she really kind of, she, she jumped into that. Like she, she felt, it felt like this actress was going through boot camp essentially. Like yes. she was actually, she wasn't preparing for a role she was preparing for war like she was almost joining the army and that that's the the, the sort of uh that's the vibe i got from from brie anyway just from what she was saying i thought it was a really cool way to approach it uh, and she mm -hmm. had like you know those pictures where she's wearing like the air force cap and i'm like yeah this, this if there was a war in real life right now i'd probably be like brie save us like yeah. she, she just felt so dialed into that um yeah. and this this whole battle thing it does introduce some some visual elements that I do like because uh, this movie does have some great visual elements that I like. First of all, I love how they made hyperspace look because they made it yes. look nice and different from the classic Star Wars hyperspace by adding mm -hmm. just those hectagons, a hecta hexagons uh, is the right word, Andrew. Uh, and those, those uh, just created a different sense of space and a different sense of visual appeal to essentially the same thing that Star Wars is always doing where it's like punch it, go to hyperspace. <laughs> Now we have it looking a different way and it looks really cool. Uh, and then I really also like the uh, the approach of the costumes, the green, because we don't see a whole lot of people wearing green in the MCU. Yeah. And I, I really liked when we first saw the green costume in that little production still. I think it's weird that the Kree are blue, but they wear green outfits. But I guess that was just, just for a fun, colorful choice. But then my favorite design aspect that we got in this movie was the way the scrolls look because they look perfect. They look so perfect. There's no early 2000s superhero movie BS where they're like, well, let's just get a guy in a trench coat and give him a green tie. And that tie will tell people he's a scroll. Like nah, 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 nah. <laughs> you've got full on scroll makeup, pointy ears, little weird chin thingy that looks kind of like if Davy Jones got all of his tentacles just shaved down into nubs and they're just kind of sticking there like a chin cleft to end all chin mm -hmm. clefts. And it just looks exactly like how squirrels should look. Didn't this make you happy first time you saw it? It did actually. It was amazing to see the the chins, the the mighty chins of the scroll come back. And uh, I love the actor they got for Talos. Uh, he was such a fun character to watch mm. every second he was on screen i just couldn't get enough of of that experience um and so i think that the scroll did such a cool i think they did such a good good translation of the scroll from comic to movie in terms of how they transform and mutate it was very much like the comics in terms of like they kind of turn into like water painting colors and then like they rearrange into whatever they are um I actually, I, so going through the beginning a little bit, um, I did like the idea of the Supreme Intelligence that it's like this portable network you can just like attach to somebody and it invades their mind and then they get to talk to the Supreme Intelligence. I thought that was really cool. Um, but when Carol gets captured by the Skrull in the Skrull planet, I was a little worried um, about the introduction of the Skrull because they talk about 
how the war is based on it's a war of attrition and they they go oh yeah the scroll just started this war or the Kree started this war because they're bullies and all this stuff. And it kind of, I don't know. I think they kept it ambiguous because maybe they want to hint at something bigger later on, but it just felt like they kind of dodged the question and didn't really explain in depth why the war started with, the, with the scroll. So um, I was kind of a little, I was a little just like distracted by that. Uh, but when Carol is captured by the scroll and they're doing the mind digging, I loved that absolutely loved it and uh i love that they're like no okay we got to do this and like we're looking for this memory um and tried to find uh and tried to find the uh the, the projects or whatever and yeah the scroll were just such cool looking characters and i love that they're all like different sizes there's like the little mm -hmm. ones there's the super massive ones that um, little one needs his own spinoff he does a little <laughs> scrolly yeah, and I love that they're they're playing with the rewind and the focus and all that stuff, which is funny because it feels like it feels like old movie technology, which we kind of get a got to get a little hint after the prison break scene, which again I feel that was the that was the best and closest performance to uh, Captain Marvel that kind of sets the tone for her character. Is that like I love the one straw screams at her and she's just like ah, then <laughs> knocks him out. Like it's. Yeah, that was such a fun scene. But yeah, I was absolutely in love with the scroll the second they took over the, the the movie. Like they were just absolutely fun to watch. And I really hope we get to learn a bit more of their story in the Secret Invasion. Um, but uh, but yeah, right now it's kind of a little obscured what their what their motives are, and and I mean like that they're they're painting themselves as like refugees essentially, which you kind of get in in certain climates, but. Again, like, I don't know. I just don't know enough about their backstory right now. And I feel like that's on purpose. But at the same time, I feel like they should have hinted at it. They should have hinted at something. Yeah, the, the scroll thing is like a big enigma. I like I know a lot of people were a bit off put by that. I loved that they ended up being good guys, uh, especially because they're so like when you cast Ben Mendelsohn, you cast him to be a villain. Like he's just that kind of actor. So when I saw him being cast as Talos and then, I saw them in the scroll makeup and I'm so used to them being villains from like super scroll and all that. I was pleasantly surprised by that twist of like, yeah, these are just people trying to live and the Kree are suppressing them. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, I really curious now what that means for secret invasion. Cause how do you do secret invasion without the scrolls being evil? Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. There's gotta be, and all that tells me is that it promises something, Ryan. And it promises what I love promises world building. Cause guess what? The scroll race probably a big race, just like humans. And just like yeah. humans, some are good, some are not so good. So I, I can't wait to see different pockets and factions of Skrulls doing their own thing. Some of which would be like, hey guys, you know what we should do? We should invade somebody secretly. And then there you yeah. go. Yeah, so I think we're, we're, no matter what choices they made in this movie, Secret Invasion is going to play out just fine. I think we can all rest mm -hmm. easy. And I want to I want to talk about this um, jailbreak scene because you're right, it is awesome, and it's it's a really cool little, um, it's a choice that they made with Captain Marvel. Whether it was Brie herself who made this choice or the screenwriters, or whatever, but like that moment you mentioned where she like screams back at them, and it's it gives me this little sense uh, that I don't think we've gotten with a lot of MCU characters, with the exception maybe maybe of Tony Stark. And that is the sense that 
Captain Marvel is, a, you know, she's a good person. She's a hero, whatever. But she's kind of crazy. She's not 100% sane. <laughs> That's the vibe I get from her throughout this whole movie. It's like, even just the way she, like, there, there's, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but like that moment, it might be my favorite moment in this whole movie where she's she's looking for the scroll on the subway platform and she grabs that guy and like goes to punch him and then she sees it's not the guy. And like, that's such a, a, a scary thing. And I'm, I'm putting myself in that guy's shoes. And I'm like, imagine you're just minding your own business around a subway platform. And then suddenly mm. this woman in like this green laser tag outfit grabs you and is about to punch you. And then she just stops and smiles and walks away. You'd be like, what the F just happened? And uh, Captain Marvel just gives off that vibe that she's not 100% playing with a full sanity deck. And mm. I like that. It makes her unique. It makes her stand out a little bit. It makes her different from all the other Avengers. She's not just, I'm a good person who's going to do the right thing and save the day. She is, and she will, but she's kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Loves. And I, I think that's a neat choice they made. And the jailbreak thing, because it leads to her crashing on Earth, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a video game. One of those video games where you start off the game with all the powers and all the inventory and everything, and then something happens and you lose it, and you got to start back from being a level one character. That's what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I I couldn't agree more. I love that we we brought it to Earth now. And I, I again, yes, I, I love that. And one thing I want to talk about here is this movie. I think this movie gets a little Hollywoody a little bit. I think that's this is where Marvel kind of lost some of its storytelling abilities in this movie and it's i don't know whose fault it is it's or i don't even want to say it's anyone's fault it's just i think this movie had a lot of ambition and and it's still it like it had to tell a lot of different stories to try to make it all work into one um and so that's why i feel like there's a bunch of missed things that they could have spent some time on like if they had they spent the time like they would in the first iron man movie like spend some time in some certain areas then you could have done some really cool stuff what i like about miss marvel in that scream and the way she fights you know i love how you say i love to see how a character eats because it tells me a lot about you know how they how they are as a person Uh for me i love to see how a character fights because it also determines how they move how they fight how they act um and one of the things that i figured out about captain marvel and again this is kind of a missed story beat is that if you've lost your past memory like if you only remember being at hala and you don't remember your past life then really everything that defines your personality is lost so if something you don't like happens you don't know why you just don't like it so you're literally just impulses and instincts right because you're just you're built on your training and you're built on your personality but you don't have the logic as to why right so that's why like i love the reaction when the guys like confronting her and just screaming at her and hers is to just do the same because she's been she's had bullies all her life and people telling her she can't do things and this is a person literally preventing her from doing something and just screaming at her so what does she do she amps it up she screams at him back and goes for it so it's a, it's it's one of those things where the picture is worth a thousand words and that that sequence tells that a lot of story right there but i think they could have played that more like it, i think they could have played up this this character who has literally lost their entire memory that defines who they are so they're literally impulses and instincts and like you know that's all they have they they all they have is their choices right and i think that's why 
the fight scene with Yon Rog in the beginning is kind of lost a little bit, but it's still it's it's fun to watch. Is like, oh, you got to forget the past, not let emotions get the best of you. But that's all she's got. She's all she has is her reactions. Mm-hmm. So she her fighting back should be like instead of being like, I don't know who I am. She should have been more aggressive in the in the choice there and be like, I don't know who I am. So all I have is the choices and the differences I can make. And you're telling me I can't use my powers and like they could be taken away. Screw that. I'm going to use my powers like, you know, like that kind of thing. Like, I think she could have been there's there's certain areas where I think there could have been some better storytelling. But I think that, yeah, there's some interesting moments. So when she gets to Earth, I love the reference to Blockbuster Video. And apparently this is kind of just before the events of Iron Man is the understanding. Um, Well, it's the 90s. Iron Man was 2008. This is this is set deep in the 1990s. Well, I would say like late 1990s. Like apparently this takes place just before the events of Iron Man. So this is definitely like late 90s. I'd say probably five years apart, give or take, maybe. Um, Wow, I thought it was way earlier. I thought it was like 1994. Hold on, let me see. Did did they say at any point? I'm going to check my notes. I think they said the year. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they i'm pretty sure there's a point where they say the year but i don't have it written here well we'll keep an eye on it um Mm -hmm. i mean her story takes place throughout the 90s but i think when she comes back as captain marvel it's the late 90s when she comes back as captain marvel like Like when she's when she's growing up on earth it's like the early 90s oh and then, and then when she comes back uh, after crash landing and the escape and everything, mm-hmm. um, I think it's like nineteen. I think it's like late nineteen nineties. But it's supposed to take place before the events of Iron Man. Yeah, that makes sense. I yeah, because I guess with Monica, she's little. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's a if if that part is a few years before Iron Man one then that makes sense that Monica would be the age she is now where she looks like she's about 30. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I wish I wrote down the year. I, I thought I could swear that they said the year, but I know that every store in that plaza that we see is gone now. Like it doesn't exist. And Blockbusters, <laughs> Sears, and Radio Shack, there's no such thing. None of them. They're all gone. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm actually just quickly trying to grab the footage just to see if the shot explains anything. Um, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna see. If oh no! Yeah, no. Just says Planet C C fifty three Terran Homeworld. Terran Homeworld. Yeah. When it, I, I thought it was. Uh, she reminded me of somebody when I watched this. Um, when she, like, once she crashes into Blockbuster and the way she acts. And like she goes up to that security guard, she reminds me of Buzz Lightyear. Like she, she thinks that you know, like greeting citizen, I'm here from the Star Brigade to make sure that the Galactic and the guy's just like, uh, hey, what's up? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, hold on, let's yeah. So we'll figure that out as we go. We'll we'll come back to this. We'll put 1995. 1995. Yep, it takes place in 95. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Takes place in 1995. Okay, so it does. So it's set in 1995. So it is a little bit before Iron Man, but still, I think the statement is here that that it is the the thing that kicks off 
it is it is pre Iron Man. Like it tells that story, yeah. which is again, which is awesome because Ant Man covers the eighties, right? Mm-hmm. And now Captain Marvel covers the nineties, and then Iron Man kicks off the modern age in two thousand. So yeah. that's nice to see. Um, so thank you for clearing that up, which is awesome. Um, fun fact: so as she lands in Blockbuster, she picks up the movie The Right Stuff. She she browses around. There's a bunch of cool references in there. Um, I love that we're seeing Blockbuster. I used to work at a Blockbuster, so that was really cool. Um, and uh, and then she goes outside. She talks to the security guard. Fun fact: that security guard, he actually is security at Marvel, and his job is protecting uh, the secrets of the movies. Whoa! And preventing them from like getting leaked and stuff. That's so cool. What a perfect yeah. cameo for that guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's it's pretty cool. Um, I, I love that little nod. So and again, so then we get we get Nick Fury on it, and I love that he's kind of this uh, low, uh, I guess mid level uh, Shield agent <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with some good de agent. He looks like he's straight out of Die Hard with a Vengeance. Perfect. Exactly. Oh my God! Yes, uh, he looks fantastic. Yeah, and again, I loved it. I love this this new chapter in Nick Fury's life that we're seeing with Coulson. And again, I still think Coulson was a missed opportunity because he's there, right? Like he's there. So, and, and now the whole part, the whole point is, is like uh, during this car chase and the Kree attacking her and all this stuff is that, you know, Nick Fury learns that, you know, Coulson becomes a scroll later on, but that was because Coulson was left at the parking lot. But then Nick Fury is like trying to question everybody and imagine if Coulson was a Cree agent the whole time. Like that would have been so cool because Nick Fury would have been talking about trust later on and that being weird because he had a Cree agent the, the whole time under his nose and he did have scrolls under his nose the whole time. But it, it was cool to see that. And I think that would have been really, really fun to kind of tell that story. Um, I am a little upset about it, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, the movie overall, I think, is great, and I think it does a good job. But there are some things that I think that could have been. I think there are things that could have elevated it had they like done some different motivations. But and they they do something, and I, I was trying to remember because it's been so long since I saw um, Agent Carter. Yeah, but Nick Fury uses the name Shield in 1995. Um, so I'm assuming that because my initial thought was that at the end of Iron Man one is when they come up with that name shield, but I, I'm, I guess I'm wrong and they have had it for a long time. And I'm trying to remember if in agent Carter, they come up with the name because before it's called the strategic security, something, the SSR strategic Homeland intervention enforcement and logistics division. I think it is. Yeah. But Um, in, in, in agent Carter, it's called SSR first. Strategic Science Reserve, yeah. Yeah, and then at some point in Agent Carter, does it get called S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, uh, yes. Yes, it does, because they they end up calling it Strategic Home... They call it Strategic Homeland or whatever, but in Iron Man, that's when they they turn the acronym, or they just use the acronym S.H.I.E.L.D., but you do see that they call it... Like, they do call it S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Like, it Mm -hmm. is S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay, um, so then that makes that makes sense then, because when mm-hmm. you drop the name here, I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't know that. Yes, you're screwing with me, movie. But I was, I was wrong. Yeah, it uh, and it makes perfect sense, and it also makes perfect sense that maybe even back in the day, Peggy Carter would have even maybe come up with that acronym because uh, her boyfriend was known to carry a shield 
from time to time. So maybe she yeah. kind of, you know, uh, embrace that a little bit. So now that makes more sense to me. Uh, and this meeting between uh, just the friendship that we get between Nick Fury and Captain Marvel, I think yeah. is, is, is a really fun, like it turns into a buddy movie, a buddy cop movie, which is so fitting and so perfect because the 1990s was all about buddy cop movies. It was, if, if you love buddy cop movies, the 1990s is your promised land. Uh, and it's uh, about yeah. time the 1990s uh, films were the promised land for somebody because that was not a great decade for film other than that. Uh, but uh, the, the buddy cop thing really uh, has a fun uh, presence that I think the movie was missing up to this point. So once we get Nick Fury and we get the two of them talking, it lets us mm-hmm. learn more about her because she gets to share her story. And it, it even gives, I think, the funniest line of the movie is when, uh, you know, they're talking about going undercover. And he says, he says to her, you look like somebody's disaffected niece. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I love, I love the relationship in, in between Captain Marvel and, uh, and Nick Fury in this. I, in fact, I think it's, uh, I think it's one of the best parts of the movie is, is this buddy cop experience. Um, and I love that he's like, so you're a race of warriors and she's like noble warriors noble mm-hmm. warrior heroes like i love those little moments and it's so much fun um and i love when they go to the shield facility and and one of the things i thought that was really cool was her name veers and then that we learned that it's it's only part of her name tag yeah. that they used i thought that was really neat as well um i kept waiting for general veers from empire strikes back to show up and be like, <laughs> you may begin your landing lord vader I'm yeah like, hey, what what's going on I, got very I think that's actually the reference. I think that's absolutely the reference. I mean, this movie borrows a lot, or well, not borrows a lot, but makes reference to a lot of different things from, from the 90s. Um, I love her that she's like wearing the grunge. I thought that was perfect, a really good tone setter. Um, and, but I love that. Uh, I love that one thing I'm starting to learn from Captain Marvel's movie is that there are a lot of little idiosyncrasies that that do build up to why Nick Fury is the way he is. Some of them are a little too obvious and, and, and some are really clever. And one of them I love is, is like, okay, he's like, okay, so there's this war going on between the Kree and the Skrulls. So how do I know you're not a Skrull? And like, he's, he's starting to get all these things, but I think these are big learning lessons for shield down the road because um, you know, like trusting a person's character becomes a big part of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Uh, same with, uh, like, Cap in Winter Soldier is a perfect example. When when Nick Fury is like, oh, yeah, you know, my dad worked in the elevators and then the town turned on him and all this stuff. But I think that not only is history playing a role in developing S.H.I.E.L.D., but I think this encounter with Captain Marvel played a very big role in in changing and evolving S.H.I.E.L.D. to what it is today. A hundred percent. Because, like, if there's one word to describe present day Nick Fury, as we know him, it's mm-hmm. paranoid. He doesn't trust people. And imagine going through this journey, this adventure that he goes on in this movie, where you're literally surrounded by shape-shifting aliens who could look like anyone or anything, including you. And then the person you're fighting is an army of people who lied to this woman and kidnapped her and, and messed with her memories. You're just like, damn, I cannot trust a single being in this universe. So I'm going to you know, make sure that this operation I work for, uh, Mm. you know, it's all about like, not even trust, but verify. It's like distrust and verify. Mm. It's very, 
it, it's the the aspect of spy stuff that I think we love seeing with Nick Fury, especially in the Winter Soldier movie of just like everybody is a potential enemy. It's like that James Bond song, Another Way to Die. Everything, that phone on the table, that look in that person's eye, it's another <laughs> way to die. And, you know, and I, I, I be through this conversation, I actually had a moment where I'm like, you know what? I kind of get the goose, the cat moment with Nick Fury. Again, I would have loved something else, but I actually do love this now because through when they get to the shield facility um they run into goose the cat and um goose obviously top gun reference um but um goose the cat uh he ends up like loving the cat because he loves cats right and like but his world's been turned upside down around him like everyone could be a scrawl or you know just whatever like there's just someone could be an alien essentially right so now this whole world of shield has been completely flipped on his head but in the end, he's got he's got a cat. You know what I mean? Like he's got he's got his pet he loves. But the twist is is that the cat is not even a cat either. And so that's where he learns not to trust anybody, like anyone, um, which is really clever. And Goose is like this flurkin, whatever it is. It's like this space creature with like crazy tentacles. Um, but I, I actually, in the end, I do. I think this movie has a lot of hidden layers to it that that take a minute to marinate with but you start to get the little geniuses little genius moments that are that are built and embedded into the movie that have an impact in later things um and and i think that this was one of them i think that this was a, a great thing where nick fury learns that he literally cannot trust anything around him um where he used to just follow follow the evidence when he meets carol he just follows the evidence he's like hey someone came through the ceiling um and they're dressed like laser tag okay well now let's follow like what are you doing here like what's the next step and then he learns that nothing is as it seems and he has to reevaluate everything so he starts now following this new you know path like okay so how do i know you're not this and she blows up the thing and she's like okay a scroll doesn't do that and he's like okay what does that prove like yeah. <laughs> um but yeah and so i do like the genius of that um and of course like they have to learn like to trick them but again we do see the scene with colson colson where he's learning to trust fury and then fury again another relationship building moment fury knows he can trust colson because colson didn't rat him out so there's a lot of layers there um i again i love the relationship that they get into the the early version of the quinjet um and uh he goes oh can you fly this thing and she's like uh you know maybe and she's he's like that's a yes or no question i love that line i love that line yeah beautifully said beautifully said you're right it it all all these little things take some time to marinate Uh, they, they don't kind of explode into their proper meanings on film kind of have yeah. to stop. And the goose thing is perfect because it's like, like you said, even the cutest little most innocent kitty cat could be a giant thing that eats your face. So yeah. that gives us, this is Nick Fury's origin story and Captain mm-hmm. Marvel's origin story. It, it gives us that slice of his life that tells us why he's as paranoid as he is. And I think goose, you know, is not a throwaway joke. Goose is the reason behind that and i'm gonna make a confession ryan don't tell anybody i've never seen top gun (gasps) and the thing is i've never had any interest in seeing top gun because everything i see about it it's just like just based on completely first impressions it just looks like two hours of guys being like 
I'm the hottest guy. Look how good I fly my plane. No, I'm the hottest guy. Look how good I fly my plane. It just looks like dick measuring for two hours, essentially. And but, Isabella would love you for that description because that's, <laughs> that's how sort of she would feel about it. Um, but uh, Top Gun, I will say, is a movie. It's a, it's It's a movie based on intensity because everything can happen in the blink of an eye kind of thing. So these guys are quite arrogant people because they obviously to fly a fighter jet is pretty insane, but it is, it is a fun, intense ride, but yes, I, I can, I can understand that perspective. Um, uh, and I love that with Carol Danvers. I mean, as a Top Gun reference, she always says higher, higher, further, faster. Right. So, yeah. you know, in order to beat the men, they have to do, they have to go above and beyond. Right. So, uh, which is really cool. Um, so, at this point, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I think this movie, I think this movie tried this tried to use a Marvel formula, but instead of being like, okay, instead of let's instead of using the big events that define the story, let's try to shoehorn our little things into those events, and that's why it kind of it kind of you it's kind of a tough pill to swallow at first, but then, but then once you kind of take a step back and let go of your expectations, there's a lot of little things that make it quite genius. Uh, overall, I think it's pretty brilliant. Uh, so my friend, so here we go. Um, so my friend, we go, we fly, we fly. Hey, hey, it's we're, we're mobsters now. We're going to go. Hey, listen, sit down. I'm going to talk to you about this movie. You like Captain yeah. Marvel? I'm gonna I'm gonna make you a Captain Marvel you can't refuse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they go they they uh they go out and they uh they go find uh Monica Rambo, which is pretty cool. We get the we get the photon memory there. And I love that we're getting another Marvel character pretty early on, uh which yeah, is we got nice. Maria and Monica, which is a nice uh, nice little package deal because both of them mm-hmm. are cool important characters. Well, we do get quite a plethora. I mean, even the squad that is with uh, that is with Captain Marvel at the beginning with Yon-Rog, they're all characters. They're mm-hmm. all characters of the Marvel world. Um, I mean, we get to see Korath again, which we love Korath. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I can't understate that enough, how just bringing Korath and Ronan into things is mm. just a, a beautiful way to tie this all together. And I, I've heard a lot of... Um, like a lot of people talk about the difference between how the MCU tackles things and how the DCEU tackles things. And I, I think one of DC's biggest problems is they're great at making individual movies, but they're not so great at making all of them feel like they could take place in the same world. Yeah. There's, there's so much dourness and seriousness in something like Batman v Superman and Man of Steel that when you go to Shazam, it feels like you're watching two different universes and they, they haven't found that right way to make it all click yet. And I think Marvel has that formula down to a much more specific science. When you look at something like black Panther, the black Panther movie, not a very funny movie, more on much more on the serious side. And yet a a hundred million percent feels like it exists in the same world as guardians of the galaxy and Thor Ragnarok, a hundred million percent. It never feels out of place. Absolutely. And I think I can't remember where we were talking about this. I think it was I think it was during Ant-Man, uh, Ant-Man of the Wasp. We were talking about, you know, movies. We we're talking about like superheroes learning their powers. Right. And like and all that stuff. Um, 
and I, you know, Shazam, I have to give it props because Shazam actually focused on that particular part of the story. And I have to give, I have to give Shazam credit on this podcast because the last time I talked about it, I didn't mention that movie, but what I liked about it was, again, we had this character who literally is bestowed these powers, but doesn't know how they work and doesn't mm-hmm. know what to do with them. And there's some really clever, funny moments. Like I love that he finds, he gets shot and there's this moment of shock. Like he's been shot. And, but he finds out he's bulletproof. And then that's like, that's such a hoorah moment. But yeah, I think DCEU, going back to what you're talking about, is like the problem with the movies are the individual movies are fantastic, but there's no cohesion um, when you try to force them all together. They don't, they don't quite seem to want to work because the tones are so different and the aesthetics are so different. Um, and like Wonder Woman, I think is a perfect platform because Wonder Woman, uh, though I have not seen at this point, I haven't seen Wonder Woman 1984, but I think it's coming out on video this Tuesday uh, at the time of this recording. So I can't wait to watch it. Uh, but I think the problem is, is because like, I think DC's problem is, is they want Batman to be the ground zero. They want Batman to be the ground zero. And the problem with that is, is all the characters don't work on the same level as Batman. They they right. don't. They don't. Batman Batman is like the pessimist character of the whole like he is the Nick Fury of of DCEU, but you can't ground zero that. You can't use that as your ground zero moment. They don't even do that with Nick Fury. Nick Fury is not ground zero for Marvel. What's ground zero for Marvel is Iron Man, and everyone's yes. got to work around Iron Man, and it makes sense because Iron Man's about about uh, about a character a human named tony stark who has the the world like in the palm of his hands in the sense of that he's a rich person and he just decides to do whatever he wants because he's a rich person right and he learns that his weapons are you know causing a lot of world problems so he's like i'm i'm a person i can make a difference and then that becomes kind of the marvel the marvel ground zero point is that i can make a difference and then all the characters have that kind of notion uh, and share that. And that's why the Avengers are created is because it's made up of all people who can make a difference. Um, and that's why I like how, and again, man, this, this total moment with this conversation is blowing my mind already. And that's why I like how in Avengers, the story's about the Hulk because he doesn't want to be the difference. Mm-hmm. He wants to be left alone. But he, but in the end, all the Avengers believe that they're the ones that they can make a difference. But they need his help to do it because that's why. Because the the staff is all about gamma radiation, and he's the key. He's the key to figuring it all out. But he doesn't want it, and it's perfect. DC. The problem with Batman being Ground Zero is you can't trust anyone. Um, you know, and like everything's is one big conspiracy, and um on top of that is like, and the world's falling apart. And Batman's one of those people where the world's falling apart, but in the comics and the cartoons, which are so well represented is like, he's, he's, he is the guy who puts the puzzle pieces together. He is the detective. He's like, okay, this person's the problem. I know they're the problem. I know what they're doing and I know their motivation. Here's what we need to do to, in order to stop them. We need Superman because Superman is, this person and he can do all these things. Right. Um, or if he's a di- like, again, if this person's a criminal, Batman can do whatever it takes to stop him. Um, but if, if he believes the world is coming to an end, then it's really hard to like, or if he believes that, you know, 
like, for example, the Justice League is not the solution, then he's a hard part to start as ground zero. Um, I like the Justice League cartoon because uh, it starts with this alien invasion that's too big for anyone to stop. It's too big. And Batman realizes that it is that. And he's like, so, okay, if it's too big for anyone to stop, what kind of things can we put in place to stop it? Well, we need Superman. And I don't like, because it's it's the Batman perspective in the DCEU, I don't like how, like, Superman's this false god all of a sudden. Like, what... Where is this coming from? Where is all this unnecessary hate coming from? I don't get that. And I think this new movie is going to, the new Snyder cut that's going to be four hours long is going to fill me in on all these details. But at the same time, I just don't get it. Like that's, it's just not a great place to start ground zero. If you started Wonder Woman as ground zero, guaranteed this, the DCU would have fit better. It just would have made a lot more sense. Ryan, I think you hit the nail on the head beautifully, buddy. This this idea of ground zero is mm-hmm. genius that you just brought up. It's genius. And I think that's exactly the problem. And you're right. Iron Man is ground zero for the MCU, and it's it worked. And I think DC is really missing that. It is missing a ground zero. And it didn't even mm-hmm. really pick Batman as its ground zero. It, it feels more like it just doesn't have one at all. It's yeah. just like, here you go, here you go. And, and I'm curious, because I think I believe that a perfect ground zero would be for them, at least what they did with Wonder Woman 1984. So I'm really curious to know what you think about it because it really feels like they took a character uh, and they utilized her to her fullest extent and they showed you the potential that this world has with like all these magical things because DC is very heavy with the supernatural and all these magical things happening and how big they can affect the world and how heady the stories can get and like how you can have a main villain who's not even really present in the movie because of mm-hmm. all the magic stuff. I think that would be a great ground zero. And I can't wait to know, to see what you think of that movie to see if you agree. But it's funny that we talk about Shazam during this because Shazam came out only like a month before Captain Marvel. And guess yep. what his comic book name is? He's actually called Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Back. It's, it's like poetry. They rhyme. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I mean that's a that's a story for another time, or a po- as a, as they say, a podcast for another time. But mm-hmm. okay, so the the reason why I want to talk about this though with Captain Marvel is is that with Iron Man being Ground Zero, it's about it's about making the person a person can make a difference. Is kind of like the theme of like everything, right? Yeah. And what I like why Captain Marvel can work is because even though they're telling her she can't, she is saying she can. And she she proves she can. And that's what I like in this movie. Any moment where she ends up just proving it, then it's fun. This movie becomes a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and so I love when she finally kind of gets her memories back. Uh, and I love, uh, like, the biggest scene that defines Captain Marvel as well is the scene where she's the test pilot in the in the experimental ship, which is really awesome. Like, it was super awesome to see her being all top gun moment and stuff like that um and again i just i wanted to see more of that i wanted to see more of her you know being that force uh and 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 what i think i like about captain marvel that's gonna be a little underrated but i think that i think that there is a story worth telling and and if the sequel refreshes this in a beautiful way i'm, I'm very excited um is that captain marvel is not a leader she doesn't know how to be one yet but everyone seems to look for look to her for 
Um, especially like Nick Fury seems to look to her for answers and how to do things. And she ends up just doing them her own way, but not realizing how to lead others. And I think she, if, if you can play the story right after the events of Endgame, she learns, I think she has the ability to learn a lot from, you know, like Captain America, for example, where he, he admits that like, like, I think like one of my favorite scenes is like when she, flies through Thanos' ship and he goes like carol we needed an assist here i think once she sees how captain america leads others i think there's a great story for her to understand how to lead the next generation of the avengers kind of thing which is which is why i think would be cool because we're going to see um we're going to see her obviously reunite with spectrum but we're also going to see her uh unite with miss marvel as well so I think this will be a really cool way and a really great storytelling if we finally if we finally see Captain Marvel learn how to be a leader because she's reckless in this movie. Like uh, the scene when the scroll shoot at her from the phone with Nick Fury, she ends up blowing up a corner of the the building um, from her blast, right? And and they're always telling her she needs to control her power. Uh, which is another interesting thing. Uh, so she's quite reckless. Uh, and and you can see that even when fighting in space a little bit, as well as um, being on the ship. Uh, but I think that character, one of the great stories that can grow from Captain Marvel is her learning how to be a leader and how to, how to do it. And we're not getting that right now. I mean, we're only getting that there's a lot of problems somewhere in the universe and she's dealing with them. Okay. How is she dealing with them? Like mm-hmm. from what I've seen thus far, she, she figures things out. Yes. Is it the best way to do it? Probably not, but she gets it done and you got to give her props for that. You got to give, you, you know, she's doing the right thing, but I think she needs to, again, I think she does have to learn still has a lot to learn and her character still has a lot to grow. So I'm curious to see if that's going to play out. I love that, man. I love that idea of, of her arc in Captain Marvel two is learning to be, a leader it's it it works perfectly it really works perfectly because the captain marvel they give us in this movie she is and and maybe this is a product of what we said earlier of how she's kind of a little bit crazy and Mm. you know she she uh, is living on this planet just full of military people so she's not super socially adept she's a little bit socially awkward and you know she's you know she's hanging out with Yonrog and his maniacs, so that doesn't exactly help her. So even when when she hooks up with the Avengers and she makes friends with them, she still kind of goes off and and she's a loner almost all the time. We know her except like that one mm-hmm. shot where she's with all the Avenger ladies and they're like, "Let's go!" and they they team up for like that one little two minute fight. Yeah. So the idea of making her not a loner, beautiful, beautiful way to get that movie it's flow. I mean, it's called Captain Marvel two. So it should be about her in a pair, you know, two people like with Miss Marvel, (laughs) like like a big sister, little sister thing. That is so beautiful because it tells me that Carol is going to learn things. um, You know, you know, she needs that the same way Thor needed it in the Thor movie because he was all powerful. He was a God. You need to bring him down to his base level and be like, dude, you have, shit you got to sort out just because you're a god doesn't mean you're perfect same thing with her she is the most powerful being in the universe what arc can you give her then well you give her an arc saying yeah you can shoot as much as you want out of your hands lady but 
you got to learn to connect with people. Otherwise you're living an empty life. And I think that's what we're going to get. It's going to be a very hero and sidekick thing with her and Miss Marvel. And Miss Marvel's mm-hmm. going to open her up and warm her up. And we see snippets of that in this scene where we go to the, the um, Louisiana house yes. where the Rambos live. Because as soon as we meet the Rambos, they really kind of pull the cork out of the story a little bit and give us the meat of the plot. Because the plot has been very withheld up until this point. And they're the ones who are like, you're Carol Danvers. You were like this. You were like that. This is what happened. And it spells out the plot, but it also spells out who this person is because now she's no longer a cypher. Now she's no longer just a face in a suit that can shoot stuff. Now she's a person with hopes and dreams and a past. And the Rambos give that to us on a platter and say, now we have something a bit more fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely. And I, I love the Louisiana scene um, that we get, you know, we get Monica, get Monica Rambo and Maria Rambo and uh and yeah we get the real meat and potatoes of the story which was pretty cool and I love that uh <laughs> I love Talos is like here I am you know and like talking about how to build trust mm-hmm. that's the whole point of the scene is how to build trust and uh and I love that he's like oh man no wonder he couldn't find it it's in, it's in space and he's like looks at his sides guys like was that really that hard? Like, you know, like I love the hu- the humor is really cleverly done in this movie. I think it's there's a lot of fun layers. But again, the actor that plays Talos, he's he's such a fun guy. I, I just love it, and I love that they're like uh, they start questioning him, like, "Oh, can you turn it to a filing cabinet?" And he's like, "Why would I want to Why? turn it to a filing?" Cabinet? <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's a real good scene. Um, and again, I love the the test fighter pilot scene because I think one of the things that it does tell and, and again it does tell it but it doesn't for the people in the back of the audience it doesn't give them the full picture but it shows that she is the fastest and best fighter pilot like it i i think it could have done better but i think it still established what it what set out to do that she you know out when when she's she wanted to be a pilot and get out there and start, you know, get out there in the skies and, and be the best and, you know, really prove herself um, because she can make the difference. Uh, that kind of theme again, right? We, she goes to test, to test this jet and she gets, ends up getting attacked by an alien ship, which, you know, the, at the time, this military has never encountered before. And yet she's able to outmaneuver and almost take him out. And mm-hmm. I think again, it could have done better. It could have done a better job of really landing that that part of the story that she was the best person for the task, and that she and that this person believed in her. Um, uh, Lawson believed in her, and that really creates this epic moment. Uh, but uh, but again, I don't think it it, it quite gets delivered there. Uh, in the end, it's a really cool scene, and then we get to go to the uh, the space get to go to the space thing which is pretty cool uh the space station now the cool thing is about this too is the reference to project pegasus which was also announced in the deleted scene of iron man 2 there was a reference to pegasus so that was really cool nice little nod there um i felt like a million years ago i still remember us doing that podcast when you brought that up and we were like oh captain marvel that was that was yeah. a long those were happier days i could come and sit on your couch and we could we could podcast next to each other um <laughs> I, I have oh, to say, maybe this is just the guardians of the galaxy fan in me talking but okay her blue red and gold suit is 
fine. But yeah. when she tries on that neon one with the funky colors, I'm just like, I want to see that movie. Please, <laughs> please let me see that movie. Uh, Captain Marvel 2, Nia DaCosta, if you're listening, give her the neon suit for like yes. all of Captain Marvel 2 because that would be dope. Mm-hmm. I like that suit a lot. Um, but uh, so when we go up into this uh, this space station, uh, you know, she's she's taking down Ronan's ships and she's so powerful. And I think that's a really cool Marvel moment, too, is that she's taking down the ships. And then it gave me another comic book question that I had for you, Ryan, because yeah. she is powerful as F. <laughs> what, what is her kryptonite? What can hurt Captain Marvel? uh honestly like she can she's just tougher like she's just a super tough person i don't think she really has a weakness per se it's just uh, she's like the hulk in the sense that you know as as long as a strong enough person comes around they can they can deal a couple good solid blows and she'll she'll take it she'll she'll get hurt um but i don't think there's really anything uh that can hurt her my guess would be that Kree energy could hurt her because that's also coincidentally where she gets her power from. Okay. So like, could, mm. could Hulk stand a chance against her? Or like, what about like Thanos without the gauntlet? Could he stand a chance? Like, what, uh, actually, Th- mm, Thanos, I think Thanos actually was a good example of the demonstration of her power. Mm. Um, because again, it, like he's able to hit her and she doesn't really take it. But once he puts the power stone in his hand and he hit her, she felt that because it's again, the same energy signature as, as, as the energy she got to get her own power. So, yeah. So I think that's, I think that's a great way to kind of illustrate the weakness uh, in her, in her power. And I like that you bring that up because it leads me to something that I think would be really cool if it's true. So Mm -hmm. the, the Tesseract, gave her uh essentially created the power that's in her now because it was it was powering that uh that fusion thing or whatever that was going yeah. on with the Pegasus thing. So that explosion gave her that power. I've been hearing theories and rumors that for whatever this saga is going to be called, you know, in the Infinity Saga we had the stones. In this one we're going to have I forget what they called them. I believe it's Nexus beings. And and that this saga is going to tackle there are there are six nexus beings mm. whose powers are from the stones or equivalent to the stones, whatever. And the way they were talking about it, um, they they basically just brought up Wanda because it was a WandaVision theory thing that was going on, and how Wanda's powers kind of were awoken by the mind stone that was inside Loki's scepter. So that got me thinking like, okay, who might the other Nexus beings be? You know, the, the time stone affected a lot of wizards. So maybe Dr. Strange is in there. And I can't help but wonder if Captain Marvel is the Nexus being who is tied into the space stone because of how closely tied in it is with her origin in this movie. What do you think? What do you think of this Nexus being situation? I like this theory because if that's true, then so that would so so what you're telling me based on what i'm hearing is so nexus being so they're kind of instead of them being the infinity stones they're they're important people that are playing a role in the next one so that means that wanda would be reality uh or, captain marvel or, would be or space. mind 
Mondo would be mind, I think, because the mind stone is what gave her her thing, right? The yellow one. Yes. Was in the scepter. Yeah. Right. So that means that, yeah. So that means that Wanda would be mind. Carol would be space. Strange would be time. Mm -hmm. So that would leave soul, uh, reality. Well, technically, actually, yes, that would be true because reality would be uh, Jane Foster and she's in Thor Love and Thunder. That's right. The red one. So we could get Jane Foster. And like that, that sounds cool. Like if it's the situation where it's, you know, let's say, you know, Christine Everhart, you know, she, she comes around, she uses her nihilist powers and she's trying to take over the galaxy. And the only one who can stop her is the six Nexus beings. Yeah, and, and so it becomes this thing of like, we have to get them to her. And maybe one of them is not a nice person. Like maybe Red Skull is the nexus being mm-hmm. for the Soul Stone because he's got this connection with the Soul Stone. And, you know, getting Red Skull to play ball and be on the same team is going to take some doing. And maybe that creates these challenges. Hi, yeah. Isabella. <laughs> Fantasia says hi. She needs her charger. Actually, wait, while you're here, we did this once with Iron Man 2. So let's ask you now, what are your thoughts and feelings on Captain Marvel? What about it? Can you summarize in, in, in the Isabella way, what is your thoughts and feelings on the, the movie Captain Marvel in the short summary? I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the fact that they had a lead female character where they didn't show tits and ass. Yeah. And there was no romantic love component because typically women's roles are reduced down to being a romantic object and mm. essentially an accessory to a man. So I thought they did a really good job of that. I thought setting it in the 90s was really smart in terms of marketing because fashion is all about the 90s when the movie came out. Uh, but yeah, I genuinely enjoyed it. Awesome. I thought it was a good, good movie. Right. Yeah. I'm always yeah, happy but... when they don't shoehorn in romances. That yeah, always makes me happy. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think she's Isabella's got a great point. Is they didn't shoehorn in romance, and I I think that's why they dodged Coulson as like the the influential influential part. But again, I, I still think they could have avoided the romance and still done it that way. But yeah, I think Isabella has got a good point. It's a good. I think it's a good movie. I do think it's a good movie. But do I think it it had that elevation of Marvel, like the giving it that extra comic book oomph? I think that was missing that little extra comic book oomph that really makes it a comic book feeling experience. Um, Like, like Wanda's story, for example, now that we're, and again, now that we've seen Wanda, WandaVision, I I really hope that the the next movies all hit that kind of new standard because Iron Man set a standard and we're, and once Iron Man set that standard, we said, you know, comic book movies have no excuse at this point to be anything less than Iron Man. And I think I think Captain Marvel is not. I think Captain Marvel can still live in the same realm as like Iron Man in terms of as good as a movie it is. Um, then Winter Soldier comes along and shows us like, you know, this is how you tell a comic book story, right? On a on a super dramatic level, um, and so they then it elevates a bit more. Then we see Infinity War, and it's like this is how you do. You know, Mar- this is how you do a Marvel movie, and then Wanda and now Wandavision. So. Yeah, I think that Captain Marvel, like, again, did it hit, like, Winter Soldier level? I don't think it got past that point. I think it's kind of in the middle between Winter Soldier and that. But on back onto your Nexus theory uh, real quick. Yes. So this theory is a good theory because, yes, WandaVision's Mind Stone, Doctor Strange's Time, 
and Jane Foster uh, has interacted with the Reality Stone. But Soul Stone is going to be tricky because the Soul Stone, Gamora and, and Black Widow both have experienced it. And the only people walked away with the Soul Stone was Hawkeye and uh, Thanos. Yeah. Um, and, then, uh, and then the Power Stone, uh, Quill was the last one to, to interact with it. Right. I, th- see, I think it would be a fun wrench in the equation if the Soul Stone nexus being is Red Skull. Because he's not going to play ball. That's that's going to be tricky to get him to play ball. So, I, mm. I if it if it does come down to this completely hypothetical thing where it's about these six people who ha- who are the only ones who can team up and stop Christine Everhart from annihilating everything, then yeah. I want it to be a case where it's it's not an easy Avengers situation where it's like okay, six Avengers team up and go. It's like no, maybe half of them are Avengers and the other half are like people who they do not want to work with. Uh, and that, that would be cool. Great. Yeah, that can create some fun. Uh, one thing I wish that I had been more aware of with Captain Marvel when the movie had come out is the toys. Because I don't remember seeing a whole lot of action figures. I know Marvel Legends always does those nice, you know, they have the nice six-inch scale Marvel Legends figures. And they usually just concentrate on the comics. But whenever a movie comes out, they do Marvel Legends figures for the movies. And I, I'm trying to remember what figures they had i think there was a yon rog that i remember seeing but i wish there was one of like the neon captain marvel because that is just a beautiful thing and like even just everybody looks like they make a good figure in this even like i love korath korath with his like refreshing cool mint swords that he uses like this i everybody just looks like a toy in this and i i really liked that it's like this last battle felt like smashing mm-hmm. my toys together um the the only way I can describe it is techno organic, but their suit is the the Kree suit can techno organically shape weapons. So that's why when you see Yon Rog, the wep- the pistols actually come into his hands because the suit generates the weapon into his hands, like it, it mutates into like the shape. Um, so that's Isn't that yeah, the I agree. Same technology that Cable has on his body isn't that techno organic mesh. Yeah, the techno-organic virus that he has. Um, yeah. It's similar, but it's not the same. Uh, but uh, this it's the only way I can describe it. It's, think of this, like, technical ooze that can, like, make sh- weapons and shapes. So um, Technical which, ooze um, is the name of my new punk rock band, by the way. <laughs> That's actually a great punk rock band. I'd, I'd be know, down right? to join that band for sure. Um, but, yeah, so I think that... Okay, so going back to Captain Marvel, I love the Nexus theory. Um, but, yeah, I have to agree with Isabella. There are, I think there are a lot of strengths to this movie. It is, And I hella agree. It's about time we see a, a lady lead. But um, but having her own title, because Wasp did get her own... Like, she shared a title with, uh, with Ant-Man, so we got to give her props for that, too. Um, but, yeah, so, so the space battle's fun. I love it. Uh, overall... It does overall. The movie serves its role in 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 filling the neat the the holes in in how how Shield got a hold of the Tesseract, uh, which is again something we easily forget, um, mm-hmm. and also uh, how the Avengers Initiative started, which I thought was actually pretty cool. That and it's it does align to the comic book stories, um, not exactly as graceful as it was in I think in the comics, um, but. Uh, Nick Fury's Avengers initiative, it did happen in the comics, but he called it the protector initiative. Um, and it's actually this, uh, it was the 
protector happened to be a Kree soldier who eventually became another version of Captain Marvel, um, whose name is Novar, I think is probably the best way to describe it. Um, but yeah, he he jumpstarts the Avengers initiative. Um, Carol's original call sign was Warbird, um, and then they changed it to Avenger, which a little thing that I was like, eh, but it's still, I think, it, I think it, again, it was shoehorned in there because they wanted to show how Nick Fury got inspired to do the Avengers initiative. And it was funny because I just read a post about, uh, about Nick Fury and, um, uh, when he recruited, uh, when he recruited Cap, Iron Man and Hulk, that all happened in the same week. Oh, damn. That's, yeah, that's cool. Did you ever see, uh, when the Simpsons made fun of the MCU and they had the assembler initiative? Did you ever see that? No, it's in like one of the newer, it's like season 29 or something crazy like that. Um, but they were, they were making fun of the MCU and like the family was sitting down and they were watching a Marvel, a Marvel movie. And, um, you know, the, the credits went up and Homer's like, okay, time to go. And Bart and Lisa are like, no, no, there's more, there's more. And then they showed what looked like uh Surtur from Ragnarok, like this big demon guy. And he was talking or whatever. And then uh, that that scene ended and Homer's like, okay, come on, we got to go. And he's like trying to pull Bart at the chair and Bart's like, no, there's more. And they showed what was clearly Nick Fury. And he and Nick, they they take the scene from the, the end of Iron Man 1 and they have Nick Fury walk into his house and like all his lights go out and he's like, who's there? And then you see a guy standing at a window and he turns around and he looks like the David Hasselhoff version of Nick Fury and he's got an eye patch on both eyes. <laughs> and he says, he's like, hello, Nick. I'm whatever he says his name. And he's like, I'm putting together a team of people who put together teams. It's called the Assembler Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. I like it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's but it, it's cool to think that it all happens in one week, but it is based off a comic called Nick Fury's Big Week in the Recruits Heroes. It's like um, Baby's Day Out, but with Nick Fury. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, I, I mean, it's I have to I have to check out that reference. It's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, so so I, I in the end, I think the movie was awesome. I love seeing Ronan come back because it demonstrates Ronan's role in the Kree, which is, again, if the planet is deemed uh, unfit and they will literally blow it to kingdom come. Um, so I love that, you know, Captain Marvel can stop that, which is pretty yeah. cool. Um, again, another great demonstration of power. Uh, this movie um, also set the tone for how the beeper was set up for, uh, for Nick Fury, which was really cool. Uh, and then they also did the end credit scene. Now, fun fact about this movie is it was filmed uh, after the Avengers Endgame and all that stuff. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Because they kind of filmed Infinity War and Endgame back to back. Yeah, uh, which filmed at the same time. Sense. Yeah, there so, was some there were some reshoots for like Endgame and stuff, but overall, both movies were shot at the same time. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. And the the answering the call thing was a cool. It was a perfect mid credit scene. Like that's exactly what you need. And then even the goose thing is just a nice way of showing us that yeah, Shield has the cosmic cube. And because mm -hmm. we really, I even remember us talking about it when that time came, I think in the Thor post credit scene, where they're like, check out this cube, Eric Selvig. Um, and I was just like, where, where did they get that? Because we know in Captain America, he holds it, whatever. And like, so it, it, it kind of got lost in the shuffle. And I'm glad that we 
got this moment to really spell that out. Yeah, um, it, it's true. We did get that moment to spell it out. Uh, I'm actually trying to think now because, so in Captain Marvel, we get, get to see it. Oh, no, because they, they used it for the experiments. And then it yeah. got lost again, and then they got it again. And then, yeah. yeah, so it's, yeah. it's shuffled around, but thankfully we, we can kind of put a pin in it. Now, mm. now that we've reached the end of this movie, Ryan, I, I have to ask you, as a comic book guy, I have to ask your opinion on Captain Marvel 2 and where we go from here. Because yeah. I want to drop two names on you. And I want you to tell me, um, in fact, we'll play Never Tell Me the Odds. I'm going to drop these two names. Uh, and yeah. What are the odds that these two people show up in Captain Marvel 2? So the first name, and we'll do it one at a time here. The first name is, because I was looking for somebody who could stand up fist to fist with Captain Marvel. And I found a character named Moonstone, who is essentially the venom to her Spider-Man. She's the evil version of Captain Marvel. Um, and she seems to be a popular theory uh, in regards of like who our villain of Captain Marvel 2 is. Mm-hmm. Just starting with her, what do you think the odds are that we see Moonstone? Oh like boy! Because I don't think we what? brought her up in our casting thing. So who would you like to play her if we saw Moonstone? I don't even know oh. what she looks like, so I don't even know who I would cast as her. Is she a blonde lady too, or like what? What's her? What she look like? Uh, man, she's definitely yeah. She's a blonde lady. Um, she looks like Dagger, I guess. Probably the best uh-huh. way to to describe her. Um. If I'm not mistaken, I think we've only seen her once in the cartoons. Um, and she's in the X-Men cartoon uh, with the episode about... Oh, no, that's Dark Star. Never mind. Um, yeah, Moonstone. Oh, man. Oh, geez. Uh, okay, so my the odds of her crossing paths, I think, are slim. I don't think we're going to see her. Um, here's the thing, though. The they say Captain Marvel can stand toe to toe with the Hulk. Right. Doesn't mean she will win, but she she can stand toe to toe to him. So I I'd be curious to see who she's gonna fight. Um, that that could that could equal her power. So the first one you think is Moonstone. I think it's pretty unlikely we're gonna see we're gonna see Moonstone. Interesting. Okay, what percentage are you thinking for that? She is in the Thunderbolts, um, which could lead that way. And she's also in Dark Avengers. But I just think to to build this character's story, uh, to build this character's story, I think it would be, it's it's too long of a shot. It's It, it would take, it would kind of deviate from the, the current path that they're on. I think that we're going to see more scroll, um, more scroll. I think she actually might fight the super scroll guy. Oh, at wow. Okay. An out of control scroll. Uh, where uh, there's a lot of theories out there that Captain Marvel 2 will involve Princess Ferunke, uh, who feels that the Earth should be hers. Uh, and has all there's a character prophecy. named Princess Ferunke? Ferunke, yeah. Wow, that's funny. Or, or sorry, Queen like a... Ferunke. Oh, okay, Queen Ferunke. Okay, that's got a bit more reality. Yeah. <laughs> Princess um, Ferunke it. sounds like a like a night like saturday morning cartoon in the 1980s where it's just like mm-hmm. hey it's princess Ferunke. uh and she like 
throws bubbles at people or something. It sounds like a weird show. Um, yeah. So what do you think your percentage is for Moonstone before I move on to character number two? Uh, You're thinking low. I'm thinking 35% chance of it happening. Okay. All right. That's fair. I, I think it's going to be higher for her. I think she seems like a cool visual person who can go toe to toe with her. Um, and I think it, it, it plays into the, what we're talking about, about how her arc should be about finding her human side. Because if you have a person who matches you for power, how do you top them by being better at them at the human level? And I think right. that that's the way they're going to go. Uh, so I think Moonstone, we have an 88% chance of seeing Moonstone. I'm going to go pretty high. Second character is a bit more interesting. Okay. Uh, especially if they cast who I want them to cast, but I don't think they will. Because there's another character, Ryan, who's very closely tied with Captain Marvel, uh, and in, in, especially with the way they're going with Phase 4 and beyond. What if we see Rogue? That, I actually think, can be a high possibility. I, I would actually mm. give that a solid 90%. Like, I think that's a 90% chance of happening. A lot of people are debating that that's going to happen. Um, my Whether she's going to be a villain is yeah, a different I don't, Yeah, I don't see her being a villain. Um, I don't think I don't think she's going to be a main villain. I think she's going to be like a uh, a questionable side villain that will that could create a bigger story down the road. Um, I'm trying to think of a villain in the phase one that would be, or even uh, in the Infinity Saga that could relate to. Like kind of like maybe Mysterio in that sense, but not not being the villain per se, but just being like a small thug here, and then later on it's like Rogue's origin story into something else. Like uh, trying to think of something like that, um, where it's like like you see Tony talking about Barf, and then in the end, like in Spider Man, that's like a whole thing, and then and then all the people that Tony Stark bullied bullied are all like this like now villain mob to create this like Mysterio character. I think that to create Rogue, I think that's that's what's gonna happen. It's like a small scene where like maybe Carol Danvers is gonna visit Earth and then someone's gonna get the jump on her and uh and then it turns out to be Rogue later on, that kind of thing. Um, I do think we'll see that. I think with Carol's, uh, or sorry, with Captain Marvel's story right now, I think we might see Thorax. Ooh, okay. I like where that's going. I like, I yeah, think, I like that. I think that we might see Thorax uh, because Thorax goes around and he causes a lot of planets problems. Um, <laughs> he comes he comes and just he just comes in and you know wrecks planets essentially and then Galactus is like i like this guy let's have him be my herald and then uh go that way i think that's very possible i think that's probably a more likely outcome thorax sounds cool i think a good comparison for where you're going with rogue is how they did hawkeye and thor like yes they, they send somebody in to be like wow she's really powerful if we had that power we get turn the tables. Well, we have this girl who can touch you and take your power. There you go. Bada bing, bada boom. Um, and then she loses the fight, but something goes wrong and then she has the power forever. 
Uh, and you know, if you want to get Lacey Chabert in there, like I said, that would help me out a lot. <laughs> oh, uh, I would love that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. She's, she's pretty cozy over there at the Hallmark channel. They have her in like 90 movies a year. So I don't think she wants to break that contract anytime soon. So I've got mm. my Marvel, um, my character encyclopedia open here, Ryan, and I have added the ladies Rambo and I have added Yon-Rog and I have added the Supreme Intelligence who else did we yep. need in this movie from the comics? Uh, Goose. Goose the cat. Goose is from the comics. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Goose the cat. Um, oh, man. Oh, God, there's a lot. Uh, Korath. Uh, we got Minerva is one. Uh, Atlas. A-T-T-L-A-S-S. Uh, Minerva is another, is, who, who's Minerva on Atlas? Minerva is the played by the beautiful and graceful Gemma Chan, who will now oh. be Cersei in uh, in the Eternals. Right, and Atlas is also part of their squad there, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, oh, Talos is he a, Talos. a comic character? Yes, he is. Talos mm. is a comic book character. Beautiful. And uh, you got the Supreme Intelligence, yeah. Yeah. Guess who's right after Talos in the list? Alphabet. Thanos? Taserface! Oh, Taserface. <laughs> oh, Taserface. <laughs> uh, all right, that's a nice little chunk of characters. Good stuff. And I like that a lot of them are people that we don't really know too well because MCU has been great at introducing us to, you know, kind of sea stringers. Um, yep. Did anybody die? I don't think we have anybody to throw in the cemetery today, do we? <laughs> Yon Rog's alive, right? They arrested him. Yon Rog's alive. Korath's alive. Ronan's alive. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone died. Oh wow. Okay. Nobody's dead. All we right. do. So we do find out in Wandavision that Maria Maria's dead. Maria's dead eventually. Yeah. Yeah. But, but she uh, she dies of like I guess natural causes. <laughs> yeah, I think she had cancer or something. Yeah, so yeah something like that. Yeah, that takes place kind of in between there. So now it's time. To write this movie from oh zero, zero stones to six stones, or maybe we want to give it a gauntlet because it's even better than six stones. Ryan, what are you feeling? Man, I don't, I don't want to give it a low score. I'm gonna say, do you remember? Do you have the ratings of the movies on you right now? I do. You want me to remind okay, you? Okay. Can something? you tell me? Can you tell me what I rated Iron Man three as? Okay, I can do that for you, no problem. Iron Man 3? Yeah. You gave it three stones. Okay, perfect. Because, okay, I was worried that I was going to be giving Captain Marvel a really low score. I'm going to give it a solid four stones. Four for, stones. For the, for, the reasons, for the reasons being that I do love the story. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a good movie. I think it... I think I think the movie got distracted with certain goals that they wanted to accomplish. And um, I think there could have been some better Marvel storytelling. Like I said, with WandaVision, like there's there, it just didn't have the same umph as that. And I feel like it could have, and that's what bothers me. And and that's why I can't give it a higher score than that. I, I, uh, I, I appreciate that. I respect that. And I think this is the third time in a row this has happened, Ryan, but we have the same score. I also give it. Yeah, four Infinity Stones for Captain Marvel. And for me, what I'm missing is we walked out of this movie and 
I feel like I wished I just knew more about Carol Danvers as a person. Because yeah. that was a thing that you got with every other, you know, introductory movie. And here it's like, we learn her origin, but we don't really know much about her. Like, what are her hopes? What are her wants? What's her personality? None of that kind of mm -hmm. shines through. I think Talos got more character development than she did in this movie. And that's not great when he's, you know, just the secondary kind of guy in this film. It should have been her. I should have walked out of this movie knowing a bunch about her, especially as a guy who didn't know about, about her because I didn't read her comics. Yeah. The fact that I didn't is, is uh, what knocks this down quite a few pegs on the ranking list. But I will say this. I will close with this positive thing because I'm always going to remember this. Is You know, when this came out, you had your typical slew of internet haters and, you know, and some of them just hated the movie for genuine reasons. And they're like, I hate this movie. And then you had, you know, those odd few just like sad, sad people who are like, I don't like it because there's a girl. Yeah, yeah, I'm an Internet troll and I don't like girls. You know, this those, you know, virgins who are not going to be liking anything anytime soon. And they just complain about things because they like to and the haters going to hate. And so much hate swirled around this movie. And I, I don't hate it at all. I think it's just a, a decent, fun Marvel flick. But I remember sitting in the theater when I'm watching this and I'm waiting for it to start. And everybody's walking in. And in walks this girl. Couldn't be more than four years old, Ryan. Decked out in a full-on Captain Marvel costume. And I looked at her and I just got this big smile on my face. And I'm like, that's why we make these movies. That is why we make this, these movies, because that little girl is having the time of her life right now. And I could never, ever throw shade at a movie that does that for that little kid. I couldn't. So even though I only gave it four stones, like props to Captain Marvel for existing and for being that beacon of light for that kid and for, I'm sure, tons of other kids just like her. I love the. I, I feel like I feel like we should just end it there because that that that's the best way to look at this movie. Um, it's a very necessary movie. It was a very good movie. Um, and like I was saying, like my critiques does not mean that it's a bad film. It's a good film. I'm just saying from a comic book perspective, there are some real small little nuggets that I that I would have loved to been in there that would have defined the movie better. Um, but overall, I still think it's a great movie. And what we've, what I've learned from this is it, from talking about this movie, um, on infinity rewatch here, which you should always subscribe to the rebel scum podcast. Uh, and don't forget to like and leave comment, um, is that there's a lot of genius in it. That is that you really have to really have to dig for, but once you find it, it is a real diamond in the rough. Um, and I think that's, that's, you know, this movie, uh, I think that's the kind of theme of the movie. It's a diamond in the rough and, uh, it's, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I love to see, I love to see, I would have loved to have seen that through your eyes, seeing that little girl be there and that, 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 you know, Captain Marvel outfit. Uh, because again, like, you know, we, we all have that ideal hero that we see in the movies. Um, and, and when you get to see your hero finally get translated onto the screen there, it feels really good. It just, it feels real to you. And that's, that's the real genius. I think Marvel does with all their characters is eventually you'll find one that's yours and uh, you stick to it. Um, you know, for me, it definitely started with Spider-Man. Um, 
but definitely I think later on the, the, the character I love seeing come to life um, was not only Tom Holland, Spider-Man, but the, the primary one was definitely Captain America because seeing him come to life, I was just like, that's the guy. Yeah, and you are him in a real life. So <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Thank um, you, sir. I, my you. ideal hero is definitely Malekith from Thor The Dark World. Ah, sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, you're you're right. This is this is such a necessary movie. And I, I just hope that they just keep getting better. Captain Marvel 2, Captain Marvel 3, keep upping the stakes, keep upping the ante, keep making this character more and more interesting. Yeah. Uh, Nia DaCosta, I, I think we're in good hands with you. Let's take this to exciting new places. Let's make it a bit more colorful. And uh, if you want to cast Lacey Chabert as Rogue, again, I will not complain. I cannot stress that enough. Thank you, Nia, in advance for doing that. Uh, I'm going to hold you to that, Nia. You made a yeah. promise, I think, in my <laughs> brain anyway. You did. Yeah, uh, but I will say, I will say in terms of, of female heroes coming to the screen, I mean, we got some heavy hitters coming for sure. I mean, not only do we have Miss Marvel herself coming, um, which I think is going to be a very strong character, but mm-hmm. I can't go without saying uh, my girl Tatiana Maslany uh, as She-Hulk. I cannot wait to see She-Hulk. You want to talk about a motivational character? Give me She-Hulk, baby. The sensational. The sensational She-Hulk. Yes. And we got WandaVision and Wanda crushed it. Wanda, mm-hmm. this is a character that just blew the, the, the water. Just blew it right out of the water. It was amazing. Oh, my God. And we got Black Widow getting her own movie now. And I can't wait to see what she's going to do with her own movie. Oh, oh man. I can't wait for She-Hulk. I wish there were more fictional characters named She-Blank. Because it's, so <laughs> it's so much fun to say She-Hulk out loud. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's She-Ra. Now that, ooh, there's a team up. She-Hulk and She-Ra fighting Skeletor in the league. Yes. Boom. It's going to happen. And Nia, Nia DaCosta just promised me it's going to happen in the second Rogue <laughs> movie where Lacey Chabert branches out and does more things. There. Confirmed. You heard it here first on Infinity Rewatch. Ryan, where can the good people find you when you're not As always, Thank you, Fantasia. As always, you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash Xbox Canada. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Crusader Online. Ooh, and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and sometimes Twitter at Andrew Fantasia and also on YouTube, Andrew Fantasia, where I have a channel where I talk about other things like the economy. No, it's a lie. I don't talk about the economy. Uh, I talk about Malekith and how great he was and how underestimated he was as a hero to children everywhere. And then uh, you can also just find me on Rebel Scum Podcast talking about the Star Wars. Uh, and in the meantime, while you're all waiting for Black Widow, and this goes for you too, Ryan, please watch that episode of Unsolved Mysteries about the death in Oslo, because I guarantee you, you're going to be like, damn, she's a spy. I love it. I can't wait. Oh, I, I'm going to watch it probably tonight. Do it. Oh, I can't wait to hear your your reaction because it's uh it's she's faux show a hundred percent that lady's a spy but anyway that has been captain marvel on infinity rewatch thank you all for joining us and until next time have a captain marvelous day